Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Course in Miracles daily reading conference call. We read from the text of A Course in Miracles original edition, which is published by our dear friends at the Course in Miracles Society. You can access an online copy of the original edition by going to jcim.net, or if you mouse over the link at top for online edition, you'll see the link to read A Course in Miracles OE. On that same drop-down, there's an option to subscribe to have both daily text reading and the lesson for the day sent to you from the Course in Miracles Society. My name is Lori Cameron. This call is Monday through Friday from about 9.15 to about 11 a.m. And today we continue our reading of Chapter 3, Retraining the Mind, with Section 8, Judgment and the Authority Problem. We're also mindful of our lesson today, Lesson 34. I could see peace instead of this. And by way of opening this morning, <clears throat> I was really happy to find this poem from Fred Lamott that goes like this. My dear, you are never wrong. It is your thoughts that are mistaken. I'm never wrong. It is my thoughts that are mistaken. When we stop believing in our thoughts, then we can sing. Sometimes on winter nights, we can curl into our feral selves and purr like cats. <laughs> that is the purr that creates worlds. And on warm afternoons, we have a picnic out there in that meadow with Rumi, beyond right and wrong, tasting the fountain of clear, sweet water within us. We take no wine. That is a lie. Our eyes are cups of wine. We become the path we follow, answering all our questions before they arise, just by pressing our bare feet into cold morning dew. We begin with this breath. Come the path we follow. I could see peace instead of this. Amen. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. Thanks, Robin Marie. I was happy to find that poem this morning. It spoke to my heart. Oh, so, okay. Thanks. Oh, good. Thanks, Ida. Here's our reading list this morning. We have Lemoyne, Robin Marie, and Karen. We're joined in listening this morning by Ida and Diana and Judy. And has anyone joined us that would like to say good morning or be on the reading list? Patricia, listening. Thank you. Good morning, Patricia. <clears throat> okay. So, here we go. In Chapter 3, Retraining the Mind, Section 8, Judgment and the Authority Problem. Leading off with paragraph 61, we have already discussed the last judgment in some, though, insufficient detail. After the last judgment, there will be no more. This is symbolic only in the sense that everyone is much better off without judgment. When the Bible says, judge not that ye be not judged, it merely means that if you judge the reality of others at all, you will be unable to avoid judging your own. 
The choice to judge rather than to know was the cause of the loss of peace. Judgment is the process in which perception, but not cognition, rests. We have discussed this before in terms of the selectivity of perception, pointing out that evaluation is its obvious prerequisite. Uh, could you be on mute, Lemoyne? All right, we'll come back to Lemoyne. Uh, Robin Marie, do you want to lead us off then? Sure. <clears throat> Chapter 3, Retraining the Mind. Um, 8, Judgment and the Authority Problem. 61, we have already discussed the last judgment in some though insufficient detail. After the last judgment, there will be no more. This is symbolic only in the sense that everyone is much better off without judgment. When the Bible says, Quote, judge not that ye be not judged, unquote. It merely means that if you judge the reality of others at all, you will be unable to avoid judging your own. The choice to judge rather than to know was the cause of the loss of peace. Judgment is the process on which perception, but not cognition, rests. We have discussed this before in terms of the selectivity of perception, pointing out that evaluation is its obvious prerequisite. 62. Judgment always involves rejection. It is not an ability which emphasizes only the positive aspects of what is judged, whether it be in or out of the self. However, what has been perceived and rejected or judged and found wanting remains in the unconscious because it has been perceived. One of the illusions from which man suffers is the belief that what he judged against has no effect. This cannot be true unless he also believes that what he judged against does not exist. He evidently does not believe this or he would not have judged against it. It does not matter in the end whether you judge right or wrong. Either way, you are placing your belief in the unreal. This cannot be avoided in any type of judgment because it implies the belief that reality is yours to choose from. Thank you, Robin Marie. And Karen. 62. Judgment always involves rejection. It is not an ability which emphasizes only the positive aspects of what is judged, whether it be in or out of the self. However, what has been perceived and rejected 
or judged and found wanting remains in the unconscious because it has been perceived. One of the illusions from which man suffers is the belief that what he judged against has no effect. This cannot be true unless he also believes that what he judged against does not exist. He evidently does not believe this or he would not have judged against it. It does not matter in the end whether you judge right or wrong. Either way, you are placing your belief in the unreal. This cannot be avoided in any type of judgment because it implies the belief that reality is yours to choose from. 63. You have no idea of the tremendous relief and deep peace that comes from meeting yourself and your brothers totally without judgment. When you recognize what you and your brothers are, you will realize that judging them in any way is without meaning. In fact, their meaning is lost to you precisely because you are judging them. All uncertainty comes from a totally fallacious belief that you are under the coercion of judgment. You do not need to organize your life, and you certainly do not need to organize yourself. In the presence of knowledge, all judgment is automatically suspended. And this is the process which enables recognition to replace perception. Thank you, Karen. And can we come back to you, Lemoyne? For 63 and 64? Sure. I don't know why I I was on hold. You may have been trying to reach me, but I didn't hear anything. Okay, 63. You have no idea of the tremendous release and deep peace that comes from meeting yourselves and your brothers totally without judgment. When you recognize what you and your brothers are, you will realize that judging them in any way is without meaning. In fact, their meaning is lost to you precisely because you are judging them. All uncertainty comes from a totally fallacious belief that you are under the coercion of judgment. You do not need George judgment to organize your life, and you certainly do not need it to organize yourself. In the presence of knowledge, all judgment is automatically suspended, and this is the process which enables recognition to replace perception. Man is very fearful of everything he has perceived but has refused to accept. He believes that because he has refused to accept it, he has lost control over it. This is why he sees it in nightmares or in pleasant disguises in what seems to be his happier dream. Nothing that you have refused to accept can be brought into awareness. It does not follow that it is dangerous, but it does follow that you have made it dangerous. 
Thank you, Lemoyne. And would there be a new reader for 64 and 65? New reader for 64 and 65. Okay, back to you, Robin Marie. Man, <coughs> 64. Man is very fearful of everything he has perceived but has refused to accept. He believes that because he has refused to accept it, he has lost control over it. This is why he sees it in nightmares or in pleasant disguises in what seem to be his happier dreams. Nothing that you have refused to accept can be brought into awareness. It does not follow that it is dangerous, but it does follow that you have made it dangerous. 65. When you feel tired, it is merely because you have judged yourself as capable of being tired. When you laugh at someone, it is because you have judged him as debased. When you laugh at yourself, you are singularly likely to laugh at others, if only because you cannot tolerate the idea of being more debased than they are. All of this does make you feel tired because it is essentially disheartening. You are not really capable of being tired, but you are very capable of wearying yourselves the strain of constant judgment is virtually intolerable it is a curious thing that any ability which is so debilitating should be so deeply cherished thank you robin marie and karen 65 when you feel tired it is merely because you have judged yourself as capable of being tired. When you laugh at someone, it is because you have judged him as debased. When you laugh at yourself, you are singularly likely to laugh at others, if only because you cannot tolerate the idea of being more debased than they are. All of this does make you feel tired because it is essentially disheartening. You are not really capable of being tired, but you are very capable of wearying yourself. The strain of constant judgment is virtually intolerable. It is a curious thing that any ability which is so debilitating should be so deeply cherished. 66. Yet if you wish to be the author of reality, which is totally impossible anyway, you will insist on holding on to judgment. You will also use the term with considerable fear, believing that judgment will someday be used against you. To whatever extent it is used against you, it is due only to your belief in its efficacy as a weapon of defense for your own authority. The issue of authority is really a question of authorship. Whether an individual has a quote-unquote authority problem, it is always because 
he believes he's the author of himself, projects his delusion onto others, and then perceives the situation as one in which people are literally fighting him for his authorship. This is the fundamental error of all those who believe they have usurped the power of God. Thank you, Karen. And the one. Okay, back up a couple sentences. The strain of constant judgment is virtually intolerable. It is a curious thing that any ability which is so debilitating should be so deeply cherished. Yet, if you wish to be the author of reality, which is totally impossible anyway, you will insist on holding on to judgment. You will also use the term with considerable fear, believing that judgment will someday be used against you. To whatever extent it is used against you, it is due only to your belief in its efficacy as a weapon of defense for your own authority. The issue of authority is really a question of authorship. When an individual has a, quote, authority problem, it is always because he believes he is the author of himself, projects his delusion onto others, and then perceives the situation as one in which people are literally fighting him for his authorship. This is the fundamental error of all those who believe they have usurped the power of God. The belief is very frightening to them, but hardly troubles God. He is, however, eager to undo it, not to punish his children, but only because he knows that it makes them unhappy. Souls were given their true authorship but men preferred to be anonymous when they chose to separate themselves from their author. The word authority has been one of the most fearful symbols ever since. Authority has been used for great cruelty because being uncertain of their true authorship, men believed that their creation was anonymous. This has left them in a position where it sounds meaningful to consider the possibility that they must have created themselves. Thank you, Lemoyne. And would there be a new reader for 67 and 6... No, that's not right. Yeah, that's right. 67 and 68... New reader for 67 and 68. Alrighty, back to you, Robin Marie. Oh. <clears throat> 67. The belief is very frightening to them, but hardly troubles God. He is... 
however, eager to undo it, not to punish his children, but only because he knows that it makes them unhappy. Excuse me. Souls, <clears throat> souls were given their true authorship, but men preferred to be anonymous when they chose to separate themselves from their author. The word, quote, authority, unquote, has been one of their more fearful symbols ever since. Authority has been used for great cruelty because, being uncertain of their true authorship, men believe that their creation was anonymous. This has left them in a position where it sounds meaningful to consider the possibility that they must have created themselves. 68. The dispute over authorship has left such uncertainty in the minds of men that some have even doubted whether they really exist at all. Despite the apparent contradiction in this position, it is in one sense more tenable than the view that they created themselves. At least it acknowledges the fact that some true authorship is necessary for existence. Thank you, Robin Marie. And Karen. 68. <clears throat> the dispute over authorship has left such uncertainty in the minds of men that some have even doubted whether they exist at all. Despite the apparent contradiction in this position, it is in one sense more tenable than the view that they created themselves. At least it acknowledges the fact that some true authorship is necessary for existence. 69. Only those who give over all desire to reject can know that their own rejection is impossible. You have not usurped the power of God but you have lost it. Fortunately, when you lose something, it does not mean the quote-unquote something has gone. It merely means that you do not know where it is. Existence does not depend on your ability to identify it, nor even to place it. It is perfectly possible to look on reality without judgment, and merely know that it is there. Thank you, Karen. And Lemoyne. Only those who give over all desire to reject can know that their own rejection is impossible. You have not usurped the power of God, but you have lost it. Unfortunately, excuse me, fortunately, when you lose something, it does not mean that the, quote, something has gone. It merely means that you do not know where it is. Existence does not depend on your ability to identify it, nor even to place it. It is perfectly possible to look on reality without judgment and merely know that it is there. Peace 
is a natural heritage of the soul. Everyone is free to refuse to accept his inheritance, but he is not free to establish what his inheritance is. The problem which everyone must decide is the fundamental question of authorship. All fear comes ultimately and sometimes by way of very devious routes from the denial of authorship. The offense is never to God, but only to those who deny him. To deny his authorship is to deny themselves the reason for their own peace, so that they see themselves only in peace. This strange perception is the authority problem. Thank you, Lemoyne. And would there be a new reader for 70 and 71? Oh, here's where I'd love to jump in. Thank you, Lori. Thanks, Chase. One of my favorite, (laughs) if so favorite parts. 70. Peace is a natural heritage of the soul. Everyone is free to refuse to accept his inheritance, but he is not free to establish what his inheritance is. The problem which everyone must decide is the fundamental question of authorship. All fear comes ultimately, and sometimes by way of very devious routes, from the denial of authorship. The offense is never to God, but only to those who deny him. To deny his authorship is to deny themselves the reason for their own peace, so that they see themselves only in pieces. The strange perception is the authority problem. 71. There is no man who does not feel that he is imprisoned in some way. If this is the result of his own free will, he must regard his will as if it were not free. Or the obviously circular reasoning involved in his position would be quite apparent. Free will must lead to freedom. Judgment... I love this line. Judgment always imprisons because it separates segments of reality according to the highly unstable scales of desire. Wishes are not facts by definition. To wish is to imply that willing is not sufficient, yet no one believes that what is wished is as real as what is willed. Instead of, quote, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, unquote, say, quote, will ye first the kingdom of heaven, unquote. And you have said, I know what I am, and I will accept my own inheritance. Thank you, Lori. Thank you, Judy. 
And would there be another new reader then to finish today with 74? That would be 71. It is. <laughs> You're exactly right. I have a line through there, so I couldn't see it was a 71. I'll turn it back to you, Robin Marie, for 71. Okay. <laughs> um, there is no man who does not feel that he is imprisoned in some way. If this is the result of his own free will, he must regard his will as if it were not free, or the obviously circular reasoning involved in his position would be quite apparent. Free will must lead to freedom. Judgment always imprisons because it separates segments of reality according to the highly unstable scales of desire. Wishes are not facts by definition. To wish is to imply that willing is not sufficient, yet no one believes that what is wished is as real as what is willed. Instead of, quote, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, unquote, say, quote, will ye first the kingdom of heaven, unquote. And you have said, quote, I know what I am, and I will to accept my own inheritance, unquote. Thank you, Robin Marie, and thank you everyone who read this morning. Um, just to summarize a few points then, judgment and the authority problem. That first paragraph, if you judge the reality of others at all, you will be unable to avoid judging your own. The choice to judge rather than to know was the cause of the loss of peace. Judgment is the process on which perception, but not cognition, rests. 62. Judgment always involves rejection. What has been perceived and rejected, or judged and found wanting, remains in the unconscious because it has been perceived. It does not matter in the end whether you judge right or wrong. Either way, you are placing your belief in the unreal. This cannot be avoided in any type of judgment because it implies the belief that reality is yours to choose from. In 63, you have no idea of the tremendous release and deep peace that comes from meeting yourselves and your brothers totally without judgment. Meaning is lost to you precisely because you are judging them. Yet in the presence of knowledge, all judgment is automatically suspended. And this is the process which enables recognition to replace perception. Mm -hmm. 64. Nothing that you have refused to accept can be brought into awareness. It does not follow that it is dangerous, but it does follow that you have made it dangerous. In 65, the strain of constant judgment is virtually intolerable. 66, if you wish to be the author of reality, 
<laughs> which is totally impossible anyway. You will insist on holding on to judgment. You will also use the term with considerable fear, believing that judgment will someday be used against you. When an individual has an, quote, authority problem, end quote, it is always because he believes he is the author of himself, projects his delusion onto others, and then perceives the situation as one in which people are literally fighting him for his authorship. This is the fundamental error of all those who believe they have usurped the power of God. In 67, great news, souls were given their true authorship but men preferred to be anonymous when they chose to separate themselves from their author. 68. The dispute over authorship has left such uncertainty in the minds of men that some have either doubted whether they really exist at all. In 69. Only those who give over all desire to reject can know that their own rejection is impossible. You have not usurped the power of God, but you have lost it. In 70, peace is the natural heritage of the soul. Everyone is free to refuse to accept his inheritance, but he is not free to establish what his inheritance is. The problem which everyone must decide is the fundamental question of authorship. To deny the authorship of God is to deny themselves the reason for their own peace. So they see themselves only in pieces. This strange perception is the authority problem. Finally, in 71, judgment always imprisons because it separates segments of reality according to the highly unstable scales of desire. Instead of, quote, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, end quote, say, quote, will ye first the kingdom of heaven? And you have said, I know what I am, and I will, ex I will to accept my own inheritance. And that would be the end of today's section, Judgment and the Authority Problem. Uh, we have just a few moments before the top of the hour, and because Fran is not with us this morning, I asked earlier if anyone would consider leading our lesson reflection today. So with that thought, um, open the floor for a, a couple of minutes.
Hi, it's Karen. Um, this came up for me last night in the middle of the night. I had this uh, this thought, well, I should examine my beliefs because I have some beliefs that are obviously false, but, you know, they have power in them and I haven't been able to free myself. And I had this thought, you know, uh, that I'm not okay. I won't go into why I felt like I'm not okay. And then this came up. This came right up behind it, just like the answer came right afterwards. There's another way of seeing this, because I was practicing that all day yesterday. I did not create myself. <laughs> I'm not responsible if there's some flaw in me. It's not my issue. God created me, and my my job is just coming home. My job is just coming back to him, to the love it, that, he, that created me. Um, that that fundamental belief that I am not okay is a lie. You know, I have a choice. And I can see this differently. I can see it differently because I didn't create myself. And this body and this world experience is is just the path home. You know, mistakes are part of this path. And learning is part of this path. And training the mind is part of this path. And there are steps that, that seem to be necessary for all of that. But whether I'm okay or I'm not okay, it's not real because I am okay because I did not create myself. I'm complete. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. That was phenomenal. Uh, Especially, I had this thought. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for letting me share. I got somebody off here. Was it you, Diana? Let me get my shoes on. Hold on. (laughs) Yeah, thank you, Karen. I'll uh, lead the lesson that no one else wants to do, Lori. Well, thanks, Lemoyne. You volunteered at perfect time. So um, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you. Okay. Watch Jack. I will start with the review of Lesson 34, which is in Lesson 57. I could see peace instead of this. When I see the world as a place of freedom, I will realize that it reflects the laws of God instead of the rules which I made up for it to obey. 
I will understand that peace, not war, abides in it. And I will perceive that peace also abides in the hearts of all who share this place with me. I could see peace instead of this. So, back to the lesson itself, lesson 34. I could see peace instead of this. The idea for today begins to describe the conditions that prevail in the other way of seeing. Peace of mind is clearly an internal matter. It must begin with your own thoughts and then extend outward. It is from your peace of mind that a peaceful perception of the world arises. Recommends three longer practice periods are required for today's exercises. One in the morning, one in the evening, with an additional one to be undertaken at any time which seems most conducive to readiness. In the introduction to the workbook, he says, without any other instruction, the lessons should be practiced with eyes open. But this one, he says, all applications should be done with your eyes closed. It is your inner world to which the application of today's ideas should be made. So in practicing, search your mind for fear thoughts, anxiety-provoking situation, quote-unquote offending, personalities or events, or anything else about which you are harboring unloving thoughts. Note them all casually repeating the idea for today slowly as you watch them arise in your mind and let each one go to be replaced by the next. If you begin to experience difficulty in thinking of specific subjects, continue to repeat the idea to yourself in an unhurried manner without applying it to anything in particular. Be sure, however, not to make any specific exclusion. Shorter applications are to be frequent and made whenever you feel your peace of mind is threatened in any way. The purpose is to protect yourself from temptation throughout the day. If a specific form of temptation arises in your awareness, the exercise should take this form. I could see peace in this situation instead of what I now see in it. If the inroads on your peace of mind take the form of more generalized adverse emotions, such as depression, anxiety, or worry, use the idea in its original form. If you find you need more than one application of today's idea to help you change your mind in any context, 
try to take several minutes and devote them to repeating the idea and I repeat the instructions in an unhurried manner until you feel some sense of relief. It will help if you tell yourself specifically, I could replace my feelings of depression, anxiety, worry, or any thoughts about the situation, personality, or event. I can replace my feelings of whatever else I'm thinking with peace. And so the practice for seeing peace instead of this. And uh, it is a practice to go back to the summary is a practice of, to allow us to see the world as a place of freedom and realize it re- reflects the laws of God instead of the rules which I made up for it to obey. And then be able to perceive that peace also abides in the hearts of all who share this place with me. Lesson 34, I could see peace instead of this. Lesson 34, there is no cause for fear or judgment here. I could see peace instead of this. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lamorne. That felt very restful. Thank you, Lamorne. Thank you. Thank you, Lemoyne. Thanks for stepping in, Lemoyne. Thank you. Hey, it's Karen again. Um, just, I can see peace instead of this. 
it goes with our reading today that judgment is always of the ego. I don't have to judge or interpret or evaluate or any of those things. I can just trust that God is in charge. I can trust that the Holy Spirit is with me. I can be peace instead of this. When I suspend judgment and rest in God, I rest in God. I need do nothing. All the things that the Course is training my mind, I can rest in God and trust the Holy Spirit. And that will be my peace. I'm complete. Mm, Thank you, Karen. That's beautiful. One unmuted line. Let's touch that. Oh, good morning, everyone. This is Lori. I, I love the way um, I love the way in some sections he uses such an economy of words to um, describe the source of problems. <laughs> the source of problems always being in my mind. Um, almost every one of these sentences is uh, a marvelous launch point to discover how I use my mind as an ego and how I use how I could use my mind if I were following the direction of the Holy Spirit and I say economical um, because he reduces it all the entire ego thought system he reduces to an authority problem yesterday's section was we make an ego everyone makes an ego one for himself and one for everybody else the course goes on to say and then we uh, experience what we call reality from these very constricted and imprisoning mindsets and all of it he says is a consequence of the authority problem notice a is capitalized the authority problem the whole ego thought system can be reduced to that all of it the ego thought system and it, was looking at a a piece that is probably going to be published at some point um, in the future but Doug Thompson has done a really uh, nice job of bringing together a lot of the urtext as well as a lot of the extra notes uh, that Helen scribed that they felt was directly pertinent to just them and her and Bill but this whole section ends with a a footnote 
let's see if I can find it here. Yeah. A footnote to Bill and Helen that says, it is essential that this whole authority problem be voluntarily dismissed, voluntarily dismissed at once and for all. Neither of you understands how important this is for your sanity. You are both quite insane on this point. This is not a judgment. It is merely a fact. And no, Helen, you should use the word fact. <laughs> this is just a much this is just as much a fact as God is. A fact is literally a making or a starting point. You do start from this point and your thinking is inverted because of it. That to me says pretty explicitly that it's a consequence of I made myself this ego thought system that is the starting point for all of my delusions about myself and everyone else. I made myself. I thought. <laughs> I thought. Man thought. He was the author of himself. That's pretty, um, that's a pretty big um, starting point when I realize that it's the ego thought system, its own authority, that establishes everything that follows that I don't like about life or myself or anyone else. And I, I noticed it said voluntarily dismissed. Remember yesterday, or I don't know how many days ago it was, um, we read, nothing can fail. Nothing can, I'm going to read it exactly. Give me one second. It's in chapter 3, the 19th paragraph. Nothing can prevail against the Son of God who commends his spirit or soul into the hands of his father. By doing this, the mind awakens from its sleep and remembers its creator. All sense of separation disappears and level confusion vanishes. The Son of God is part of the Holy Trinity, but the Trinity itself is one. There is no confusion within its levels because they are of one mind and one will. This single purpose creates perfect integration and establishes the peace of God. Yet this vision can be perceived only by the truly innocent. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Oh. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Bye. Yeah, let me know. Okay. Yeah, let me know when you're going and when you're finding uh, your home. I'm home. line. Here we go. Um, so the point that I wanted to make is uh, the correction for all of it is voluntarily dismissing. I did not create myself. What's the truth? If I did not create myself, I have an inheritance that is mine. What is that? Because he said everything else follows from this one point. Uh, voluntarily dismissing it is exactly like he says in here, I know what I am and I will to accept my inheritance. That's the essence of accepting atonement for myself. The correction 
of this mind error that has me thinking that I'm responsible, um, that I'm in control, that I made myself and it's my job to orchestrate everything in my life to orchestrate who I allow to come close and who I reject, what material I choose to believe and not believe. Um, I am in charge of everything. And I apply that judgment externally, but because giving and receiving are one, I will experience the same effect in my own mindset. That's why he says you have no idea of the deep peace and release that comes from meeting yourselves and your brothers without judgment. Meeting yourself and your brothers without judgment is another way of saying I accept atonement for myself. I accept that my father is the author of reality, that there is a source uh, from which all reality proceeds of like character to its source. It's a, a world of thought and ideas um, that are true and absolutely certain. And I can know those thoughts when I voluntarily dismiss my own authority. <laughs> Perception was a, ch was a choice. Doesn't seem to be, does it? You know, I look around and don't feel like I'm making a choice to decide what everything is. But in the ego thought system, that's exactly what's going on. That's why you can say to judge rather than to know was the source of loss of peace. I can know truth. I can know reality. I can know my own reality and the reality of all creation. I can. I can if I voluntarily dismiss that I'm the author of it. And every thought I have proceeds from that idea. That's why today's lesson is so valuable. Use it as often as you can. Because what it is, is really a reminder to me that, oh wait now, wait now, I could see peace instead of this. In every situation, in every um, circumstance I find myself, I could choose a miracle. I could see peace instead of this. <clears throat> the other thing that really struck me this year that I'm happy to know is that um, I found paragraph 62 really valuable. Perception always involves rejection. But once I perceive something and reject it, it remains in my subconscious. And what's in my subconscious, I have judged against. It has an effect. Having judged against and rejected, I place that material in my subconscious, but life is kind. Life is kind. When material's in my subconscious, I can't bring it to my awareness, but it becomes the backdrop from which I understand everything because of this lodged belief that I'm not aware of. And by definition, if I'm not aware of it, I can't go find it. I need a miracle. 
But in paragraph 64, he says, because this cannot be brought into awareness, because I've made it dangerous, life is kind. Life is kind by presenting me with opportunities to discover those things I've rejected and I'm unaware of. Every time that occurs, I get a little nudge in my peace. Oh, there's something there. I like to think of these things as splinters. <clears throat> you know, you can have a splinter and be totally unaware of it until it starts to give you a symptom. <laughs> That's kind of what stuff in the subconscious does. It sits and lodges there like a little splinter until something in life gives it a nudge. And those little nudges uh, form the basis of miracles. I could see peace instead of this. Instead of this. Instead of this. Instead of this. Ego looks at this, this, and this as stuff to be rejected, repelled, otherwise pushed away, separated from. Um, whether it's a bodily complaint or um, a friend that you love who does something you don't like that reminds you of something. All of these effects of conditioning, um, reject, 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 lie in my subconscious, but life is kind. Life is kind. Ego doesn't believe that, but I can voluntarily choose to believe that. When a circumstance I don't like comes into my awareness, it's an invitation. It's an invitation to my mind to release some little splinter that's buried deep in my subconscious and ask for a miracle instead of this. So, very economical little section that describes the whole basis for making that transition between the ego thought system and the thought system of truth by releasing judgment voluntarily. You know, he's never going to insert himself in a forceful way, the Holy Spirit. But he's always there if I voluntarily give up my idea, my belief, my whatever it is, judgment. He's always going to respond to that invitation. So, anyway few thoughts I had about this section. I really loved it. I'm complete. Thank you, Lori. That was so powerful. Yes, that was powerful. Thank you, Lori. Hi, it's Karen. I just want to say that that was really, really helpful. To um, imagine the things that disrupt our peace as being these things that are being brought up. And by explaining, as you just did, um, the lines about those things that are in our unconscious are inaccessible for us to heal or cleanse, that by them arising, you know, it's like something to rejoice about as long as you don't uh, judge it. You don't judge it. You don't react to it. You know, you don't lose your peace. And, you know, if I got that wrong, just feel free to correct that 
interpretation of what you just said, but that's my takeaway, I think, that you were making, is that um, if, it, if something comes up that needs uh, me to remind myself that I can choose peace instead of re- reaction or response in some other way, fear, judgment, whatever, that that's, that's how that stuff is coming out of the unconscious. Is that right? I'm complete. Yes, absolutely, the way I understand it, Karen. Absolutely. That, that whole paragraph 64 um, is just a real invitation for me to flip. I call it the flip, okay? Um, just because that helps me be happy when I release something. <laughs> oh, yeah, I can flip that which is the same as um, forgive. I can retract this belief that I had that I wasn't even aware of. I wasn't even aware of it. And when I retract this splinter, this belief that's come up for me, um, what I'm really doing is I'm forgiving this situation and I'm allowing truth to come into that space, which is a miracle. That is the essence of a miracle. My, my perception of this is something I would reject, run from, flee from, hide from, otherwise uh, blind myself to, is actually an invitation to, um, it's like a mirror, you know? This situation is mirroring to me something in my subconscious that I would like to release. My soul knows I don't need that. My truth knows that that is harmful to me. And life is so kind. It's an entirely different way to look at paragraph 64. Um, I find it really, really, really helpful. When I'm afraid or I want to flee from something that life has presented me with, it's actually my right mind or my true mind or the universe that's all the same inviting me to release this thing that causes me to flee from. It's an opportunity. If I'm afraid of something, it's, it's an opportunity. If there's something in my subconscious that I would do well without, if there's some judgment that I made, some perception I had of which I was frightened. And that's, you know, that's the cause of all that subconscious material, is I was frightened of something. I perceived something, I didn't know what to do with it, so I sent it to my subconscious where I need not be afraid of it. And there it hides until life presents me with an opportunity. You want to flee from this again? Oh, I'm watching my thoughts. I'm watching my thoughts. And now I can think a different thought. Oh, this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity. Life is giving me an opportunity to choose again choose again, flee again, or run toward a miracle. Well, I choose a miracle. And then um, I can experience several things at the same time, <laughs> generally. One is that sense of burden that I had been so troubled with that I wasn't even aware of. Secondly, release makes me happy um, in the same way that burying something in my subconscious made me afraid. Third, I experienced a great sense of gratitude uh, for this very thing that I would previously have 
poem from. You know, the poem for that is a poem that the wound is where the light gets in. This thing that I would previously have um, been so afraid of or so uh, hurt by or um, however I look at this thing that I'm judging is just another opportunity to release it and experience a miracle instead. And finally, I get gratitude for life. Um, that life, I love the, the opening line, you become the path you follow. Um, because the more, the more I realize I'm free of these things in my subconscious, the more I realize my own freedom, the more I'm willing to extend freedom to everyone else. And I experience that lightness of being where I'm not burdened um, by judgment, but rather I'm able to recognize, recognize uh, everything in my environment as something holy. So this this section is a real springboard for how it works, uh, both to my great detriment or to my great joy. Uh, the choice is mine to voluntarily voluntarily release my ideas about what I think I know. So, anyway, I'm complete. It's perfect, Karen. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for saying more about it. Once again, it really helped, and I was grateful that you referred us back, that you read um, paragraph 19, nothing can prevail against the Son of God who commends his spirit into the hands of his Father. By doing this, his mind awakens from its sleep and remembers its creator, and the sense of dis separation disappears and level confusion vanishes. I think that's like the answer to, that's the ultimate prayer right there. Just stick with that. Nothing can prevail against me. <laughs> I'm complete. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. I just want to say this one more thing. I do feel a little worried that there's so much in the unconscious. You know what I mean? There's so many things that that I seem to struggle with. Seems the Holy Spirit has a very big job. I'm complete. You know, his really great answer for that is, let me remind you, I'm in charge of both time and space. Um, you know, um, it's it's really amazing how much material can go with, with uh, just the release of one idea. Like, for example, the idea, I'm in control. Um, that one wrong idea... Um, is sort of like the root, you know? It's sort of like the root of a whole bunch of subconscious material. And 
with the, that's the great part about if you know any part of truth you know all of it um, one simple little event is enough to loosen tons of old material um, and he always in my experience does it very gently and he always does it um, with small things um, here's a good example of and maybe I've told this story before I call it the Starbucks story <laughs> but you know you get an app and the app is supposed to make life easy and and smooth and so anyway um, I just love coffee and I had a weekend where I couldn't have any coffee for a whole day and so leaving that town oh great we're gonna stop at a Starbucks I'll order on the app and and I'll have my coffee there at the window but it didn't work out that way that day <laughs> and I had built this up in my mind to be such a great event oh, the weekend's over I'll get a cup of coffee that it became primary in my whole perception of everything that was going on that morning Sunday morning it was well everybody else wanted coffee at that time so the, the coffee wasn't ready and I went into the store and there were a whole bunch of people getting coffee before me and this became a really big event to me <laughs> I mean I was ready to get really angry when suddenly in in my you know how Holy Spirit does always a nice suggestion rather than you're being a jerk <laughs> you know, a nice suggestion Lori are you being an ego right now and instantly instantly all that energy that I put into this stupid idea uh, just melted and with it went a whole bunch of other things where I experienced impatience and um, you know it's like it it it's like it um, cast a light on a whole bunch of other situations where I would ordinarily experience great impatience just that one event generalized to the next time I was in line at the pharmacy window or the next time I was in line at the at the grocery store those events used to you know um, cause a lot of reactivity in me that just didn't anymore um, so one tiny one tiny request for a miracle in my experience generalizes to every circumstance that was like that that I could release an idea um, those wrong ideas become roots of a lot of weeds but the weeds clear with the plucking of that one root are you being an ego in this circumstance you know that I just that one was so great it just that that particular miracle is so great it just makes me want to laugh every time I think of it so anyway I'm complete thank you that was so comforting that really was comforting thank you
Hi, guys. Good morning. I really love this. This has been a really good reading, and thank you all for your shares. That um, some line from what we read in the text a few days ago, I don't know where it is, but the ego is man's wish to be as a way that he is not. So we wish that we're a body and we wish that we're separate. And then the world arose in order to validate this this man-made creation. And, you know, in doing the lesson today, I, I really, from doing the exercises for so many times and practicing the Course, come to see how I separate myself first from the idea of God being my creator. Because if I remember that, I never judge anything or anybody because I remember that it is all God and that God is in all of it. And there's no place where God is not. And it's one, in its oneness, there's nothing to choose or to decide between. So I don't start slicing and dicing and judging parts of it or aspects of it or images within it. Um, the, the, um, the word acceptance in the text today brought up uh, um, something that really dawned on me very clearly one, one year that um, if I'm accepting something, I'm not rejecting it. I, you know, these ideas are so simple and so obvious like I went through a long period in my disciplinary practice, I can't even say it, (laughs) that um, with the Holy Spirit and Christ in bed with me first thing in the morning, I, you know, like got this billboard in my mind saying, don't deny the obvious and don't don't make it difficult, don't make it complicated. (laughs) Don't deny the obvious, Judith, like, the truth is simple. It's everywhere, and it's for everybody, and it's all the time. And peace is a is my natural condition. Is my natural factory setting. It is how God created our soul as one, united in peace, perfectly protected. Nothing can attack it. Nothing can distort it. Nothing can diminish it. We we are purely light, light and love joy and happiness in spirit. Now, I don't know, the other day I was doing one of the lessons and there's another way of looking at this. And the way that perception works in its selectivity is through through wishing I want to see something and then I exclude everything else. I want it to, I want to see it in my own way and I'll ignore everything else that disagrees with my, my point of view. It's so selective and evaluative and accepts some things but rejects other things. And it's concrete and specific seeing. You see it because you want it to be there. And this is how we created the world we see. But the idea that um, I've denied spiritual vision because I've rejected it and I want to perceive instead. So in 
am using perception and the the ability that man's the ego has created in order to perceive the world instead of to know it, to be in and of it and with it and for it and know it, and not apart from it or separate from it. It's a huge difference in a, in, in, in a way of being in the world. And I just love the way that my natural factory setting that no one can deny me, no one can affect or distort or change, not even Judy in reality. Judy can think she does. She can wish to, but it doesn't make it so. So in doing the lesson and looking at there's another way of seeing this, I can see peace instead of this. Perception and vision become my choice. And I have to be of one mind, at least identifying with the Christ reality mind that is my real mind that I can see clearly with vision through. Or I'm going to just be in my own little head, in my own little itty-bitty committee about what I think the way things should be and trying to control reality, which is (laughs) such a ludicrous, preposterous thing, but this is what I do. When I see my brother as a body, when I see myself as a body, and then give the illusion power over how I think and feel, I'm relinquishing myself to the dream. I'm giving the dream more power than my mind has to make the dream. And this is something that's become clear to me in doing the exercise. I'm not a victim of the body. As as little as I am a victim of the world which I perceive, because I'm perceiving an illusion of a body, myself is an illusion of a body, and it's no more than uh, an image in my own, the making of my own wishful thinking. I'm wishing myself to be an image, an idol of my own making. This is like huge a huge realization. What is the truth? I'm seeking the truth. Truth's going to correct all ideas in my mind. And to this I'm devoted and dedicated to um, who is my author and who is the author of my script and what, how would he have me spend my day today? And, and reading and, and listening today um, to the voice of the Holy Spirit and to everyone shares, I was reminded of how should Teachers of God spend their days in the teacher's manual, and it says limitless release. Limitless release. To, to limitless re, limitlessly release myself from perception and believing what I think I see is true. Limitless release from thinking this dream is a reality. Limitless release from my brother to to be in the dream however he thinks he's being and know that he's perfectly unaffected by it because he's perfect spirit living in a sea of grace, swimming in a sea of grace forever. And if I can see him that way and treat him that way and love him that way, maybe he'll know it too. His perfect, in, his perfect innocence, I give to him. It's my gift to him by showing him Nothing in this world can hurt me. 
nothing in this world can hurt me or touch me or change me. I am free, and I'm free to give everyone else their freedom. There I go, there I go. Standing fast in the truth. We are spirit, we are light, we are joy, we are happiness. And if we deny that, we're denying who we are and denying our free will and the will of God are one. Amen. I am complete. <laughs> joy to the world. Thanks, Judy, and thanks for highlighting vision. That was great. Thank you, too. I really, I really loved your share this morning on another call. Um, yesterday, I was, I was out and I had visited, going to acupuncture, and as I was driving home. I was in such a state of peace. There was no mind. And that's what I I um, heard you say in the call this morning, that that deep, deep state of peace, There's, it's just quiet and empty. And there's no judgment in there. There's no separation in there. Um, Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm complete. Oh, thank, thank you, Karen. I love you. I love you, Karen. Yeah, I, I, when that dawned on me that I don't have to think, because all thinking is a fragment or a segment. It's an incomplete idea of the totality that I don't have to think. Thinking really isn't necessary. <laughs> and that a tranquil mind is no small gift. But um, um, one funny thing I used to say um, when I shared with people was, no mind, no matter. Nothing matters. <laughs> I don't mind what's, what's happening. <laughs> Thank you. Um, that that brought me to remember what I was going to say about the reading today is that um, it pointed out that that the ego tells us that we have to define ourselves, that we have to define who we are, what we want, what our goals are, all of those things, you know. And I get that a lot from spiritual friends who who are like, you have, you know, just decide you want something and go do it. And I've kind of always felt like, you know, I'd rather wait and have God show up and give me, show me something and then I'll do it. But um, anyway, I think in the, in the text it said that there's this um, egoic thing about authorship that it's put upon us that we have to figure this out and define ourselves. And uh, that's just not true. Thank you. I'm complete. Excellent. Thank you, Karen. That is excellent. I don't know. I'm. I'm. I've had this. This one paragraph, and I don't know where it is. And maybe Lemoyne or Lori, you'll recognize what I, what it is from what I'm saying, but. When we made, when we came here, 
and made ourselves a body and then became the egoic thought system. We use the, the stimulus from the world to tell us how we, how we feel and what we think reality is through our perceptions and through our sensations. So being in the, in, in the body, we think it's our reality and we interpret the world as real through this image of a body that we've, we've created in our own minds. Now what the, the paragraph speaks is, is who we are in truth, our true self, does not understand and believe and just dismisses this interpretation, this perception, as anything but wholly meaningless. That anything we think about the world or think about our interpretation through the perceptions of the body, it just dismisses as an illusion from its limited perspective or its limited point of view. And how can the messages which the body receives which it relates to the brain, be interpreted as anything but insanity because they're not true. So our true self, which we know, we know, we can know at every, any given moment because we have the voice of God in us through the Holy Spirit and we have the vision of Christ, Christ in us through God's gift to us, that we can see and hear and, and, and bring the world within us in our experience in a real way. And that's how, with my desire and wanting, I can perceive the real world as God gave it to me, which is, you know, devoid of, of, of the investment in what the physical eye see. But that takes devotion and a real desire and a real a want to be free of what is the illusion of of perception and the world that it's created and recognition of the the insanity of the mind that became separate from God and didn't know what the hell it was doing, <laughs> which I'm all down with. So I think it's in really not believing anything that I've learned and not bringing any of the paths that I've learned inviting my Holy Spirit as a guest and knowing he's always with me to interpret anything I see or anything I hear. And I don't have to say or do anything. Amen. I'm complete. I'm so all down with this. I am complete. Thank you, Judy. Thank you, Judy.
Oh, this is Lemoyne. <clears throat> I, I was tempted in, in doing the lesson to do, to to include, you know, something of the the text or what the text is aimed at, this deconstruction of judge, judgment <clears throat> or of what the the tight circular reasoning where fear and judgment recreate each other, you know, built a world, uh, or built a world, I mean, there's, I believe, multiple lessons, but I know lesson 135 says that all the structures of the world are built on this uh, self-justifying loop of fear and judgment. And the fear, I have to, then look for a place that that is the cause and blame it and judge it. And now, once you're into that loop, <clears throat> you start to see it in the world um, because I put it there in my worldview and expecting it. Now I fear and I have to judge, and it's like that. It just goes on and on. And so, you know, if all those judgments which I had made, which I would use to uh, consider reality, or at least necessary in a, in a fear-based reality. It's necessary to have some way to uh, ne- navigate, negotiate, you know, carry on in what is a fear-based reality where our Collectively, we've built up structures to hold this for us and do the job for us or to us <laughs> as as what seems sometimes like chance. Um, that, you know, the way out of all that is is in. And so it's not, you know, that to just identify the problem doesn't do anything unless the solution is also offered and available. <clears throat> and I think, you know, to, to, to the response, the response to, to the perception that, oh my God, what's this mess? We've made this mess. How do we get out of it, right? As, as he does say, Recent said recently in the text, you know, you think it would take a miracle to get out of it, and indeed it will. <laughs> and so, you know, the the thing is to focus on what has been lost. It's not gone. It's just not visible in this scrum of everyone going from passing ear tokens back and forth to throwing them at each other's head and stuff. It's uh, the way out is in, and it is to use the desire for safety, I believe, which is, you know, kind of the motivation for trying to build certainty on top of uncertainty in the world that appears uncertain, um, the way out is to recognize that the peace is already there. And um, 
it does I believe it does take a combination of wanting it, wanting that piece more than the safety that I've built up <clears throat> you know, I'll speak for myself here, that the desire to know everlasting peace, you know, peace is a certainty is is uh is sometimes necessary to dislodge judgments that appear to be based entirely in a well-practiced worldview that has taken on the role of reality. <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I just want to. Uh, You know, the prayer for prayer for forgiveness is a prayer for peace through escaping the cycle of fear and judgment. And the, the focus on the desire for peace can maintain through maintain maintain me through you know, these mind storms where there's this huge landslide where all the judgments become all of a sudden obvious and impossible to escape. There's so many. But then you recognize that, it, or at least I recognize that, oh, wait, <laughs> I, did, uh, I did all that to myself. And, uh, <clears throat> and just one quick point about judgment and how it imprisons. It's like when they form a judgment and say this is the way it is and it has to be this way forever, the only mind that is immediately affected by that is my own. And it becomes something that now I'm tied to holding that in place, believing it to be true. And that this is the way I perceive the judgment in prison. Not because the scales of desire can be unstable, but because it separates reality based on whatever I've chosen to base it on, some temporary escape from fear. And, you know, that's, that's that's what a prison is, is a separation from reality. And this is this is what judgment has done, and the alternative is you know go on holiday. <laughs> I could see peas, and you can literally see peas instead of what a, and I don't mean peace, I just mean peas instead of whatever's in your mind, and uh you know to uh don't want to deny the power of the thought because it is the power of thought because it is the source of all this um, imprisonment and need to continue the cycles of fear and judgment is all something we've convinced ourselves of. And the the reality... (laughs) is much simpler than that. It's like, we really don't need that. And it's run away with us 
in many ways to the point where it's hard to keep up with all the judgments that are required by the world as it's presently constituted. But the ability to be at peace will allow us to pass through though that all that judgment without stirring it up too much, I believe. I believe that to be true in in my heart and I also have seen it in my experience that, uh, you know, the answer to being judged is to offer peace and the answer to my own need to judge is to really seek a, a peace that's encompasses all that I would separate and uh, label fearful or wrong or good for that matter too. As long as it's separating, the judgment of good is not any different than the judgment of evil. So, it's all good. (laughs) Let it be can see peas instead of this or you can just go ahead and see peace instead of this and uh, yeah there I'll stop no that was great Lemoyne thank you thank you Lemoyne Really good. Thank you, Lemoyne. Well, this has been a great call, and I sure have enjoyed it. So thank you, everyone. Um, Let's see. One of the first ideas that I remember I grabbed onto and held tightly when I was doing these lessons is that peace is an idea in my mind and that it's shared with me by the Holy Spirit and pretty soon we'll come to the fundamental lessons of the Holy Spirit the second one is teach only peace teach only peace And so here's the idea I wanted to close with. The great peace of the kingdom shines in your mind forever, but it must shine outward to make you aware of it. Isn't that phenomenal? The great peace of the kingdom shines in your mind forever, but it must shine outward to make you aware of it. The Holy Spirit was given you with perfect impartiality And only by perceiving him impartially can you perceive him at all. The ego is legion, but the Holy Spirit is one. No darkness abides in the kingdom anywhere, but your part is only to allow no darkness to abide in your own mind. The alignment with light is unlimited because it is in alignment with the light of the world. Each each of us is the light of the world each of us is the light of the world 
And by joining our minds in this light, we proclaim the kingdom of God together and as one. So I will allow this peace to shine outward to make me aware of it. Amen. And thank you all for joining this morning. Um, I so love the way we help each other. Thank you.